When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Deck maintenance isn't fun. Move the furniture and barbecue, sand and prep, paint, seal, or get a low-maintenance Trex deck. The only colour fade you'll have to deal with is watching the sunset. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Welcome to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Uh, my guest in this episode is the front man for one of the most successful Australian bands of the last uh, 30, 40 years. Uh, plucked from obscurity, I suppose, at one point on a talent show, uh, on a fairly dubious Saturday night variety show that's uh, not on the air anymore, but was certainly huge back in the day. Uh, and from there, there was no stopping him. Uh, quickly rose to fame uh, and out front of the band 1927, uh, released one of the most successful debut albums uh, in the history of Australian music. Uh, it's been uh, quite a story since then, so there's lots to get through in the next uh, hour or so. As we say hello and welcome to Eric Wiedemann. Hello, Eric. How are you? Oh, I'm very well. How are you? Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me in. Uh, a lot of people probably wouldn't realise that you live here in Perth and have done so now for some time. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty well-kept secret these days. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're doing our best to destroy that Thank secret. Thank you. <laughs> I won't ask you where you live except to say that you live... Uh, out amongst the trees and the hills. I do, I do, and it's a it's the most beautiful place to live as well. So, yeah. Yet such a long way from uh, a place that you found yourself in in the late eighties and and early nineties, isn't it? Yes, it is. I was in Melbourne at the time, actually. Yeah. When I did that crazy red faces thing. Yeah, and look, we're going to play that in a minute because I mean, as far as sort of rock and roll stories or fairy tales go, yours is really quite something, isn't it's it? It's pretty nutty when you yeah. think about it. Yeah. Um, Let's play it now, shall we? So this yeah. is so this is actually an episode of Hey Hey It's Saturday mm-hmm. uh, from nineteen eighty six. Six, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you for some reason thought, hey, why don't I go on Red Faces? Or as I understand that you you were dared to. I was dared to, yeah. And um, being the fool that I was, yeah, yeah, I've, I've become a little wiser since then. <laughs> well, look, I suppose in, in <laughs> retrospect, it, it it worked, didn't it? It did, yeah, yeah. I mean, having said that, I mean. You were one of the the genuine performers who had some artistic credibility there. Apparently, yeah. In amongst, let's be honest, a lot of the other acts who go on red faces are just there probably because they've lost a bet. I mean, yeah. they're ridiculous, aren't they? Yeah, and it was, but, but it was them, fun but, though. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, so let's hear. This was your uh, appearance on Hey Hate Saturday in maybe 1986 uh, on the Red Faces segment that was the start of your trajectory into this wild, wild world. Of, of, of rock rock music. Let's have a listen.
I think you stunned a few people uh, that <laughs> night, didn't you, Eric? Uh, do you remember what you got from the judges? I mean, Red Simons often goes against um, all convention, doesn't he? And yeah, you know, the better I, you are, the lower you get. Yeah, I, don't, I don't remember the score. I didn't win it. <laughs> you didn't win I, it. I got a couple of a, a couple of encyclopedia books, I think, for, for coming on. But, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, listening to that now... Mm. What what goes through your mind? Are you back in that moment, or do you you know do you still listen to this? Do you just love the song? So what goes through your mind when you well, hear that? Yeah, well I tell you what, the thing about that is 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 that you just don't know on any particular day where mm. your life's going to go, or that you you're about to to do something that that will change your life forever. As, yeah, as that moment did for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. talk about those pivotal moments in a, in yeah. a person's life. So uh, as the story goes, um, there I, was I, I got a phone call. From Channel Nine, yeah, yep. from Channel Nine, saying that uh, somebody in Sydney who was um, involved in a, a well-known band was was interested to get in touch. Yes, and yeah. so um, I got a phone number. I made a phone call, and um, uh, Gary from uh, Moving Pictures was apparently getting a, a band together and said, mm. um, "You know, would I like to come up and join the band and and make a record?" Yeah, so, um, yeah. Moving Pictures, of course, being the the band behind that. Number one Australian song. What yep. about me? Yeah, people might right. remember that one. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah. So I jumped in my combi and drove up to Sydney, and for the next couple of years, we um, sat around writing music and um, recording demos, and eventually made that that record that we called Dish. Yeah. Can, can we just go back now, just to the pre-Red Faces, mm-hmm. Eric Wiedemann? Yeah. Um, you were in a cover band. I was uh, at the time. I mean, what sort of covers were you doing? What were you playing in the band? <laughs> oh, look, you know. Uh, as is the case with most cover bands, there's a, a set that the cover bands do, and yep. you know, just to, because I mean, the aim of a cover band is to get the party jumping and mm. uh, people drinking. So, um, you know, you don't want to play anything too obscure. <laughs> so, um, you know, we were doing pretty much what everybody else was doing at the time, yeah. which was, you know, at I think at that time, uh, people were into things like you know, ZZ Top and uh, JJ Kale and um, oh, what else was there? I don't know. I can't remember what the what all the, the classics. Yeah, yeah. But I was actually a drummer in that band. So amazing. Yeah. So from the drummer in a cover band to all of a sudden being kind of spotted and headhunted by um, the moving pictures guitarist. Yeah, and um, it was to dip- form a new band, and then off off you go. Yeah, and it was difficult for me because um, uh, you know, I mean, the reason I wanted to be a drummer in a band was because you could sit behind the band and not be yeah. at the front of the stage. <laughs> and so suddenly I was at the front of this band, which was. Um, yeah, something that took me a long time to get used to. And sometimes I'm still not comfortable with it. So. Yeah, yeah. Music was obviously your love, though, growing up, was it? I mean, well, yeah. being in a cover band, was that was that your job as such? Uh, no, Pre-1927, no. what were you doing? I was working in a brick-crushing factory. In a brick-crushing factory? Yes, uh, when they used to make uh, clay tennis courts. 
Yeah, right. Yeah, so I w- worked in a, a factory that um, crushed secondhand bricks, and yeah, yeah we'd sell it by the ton and turn them into tennis courts. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. So, music was a a passion that you indulged on the side. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up with music. Um, yeah, mum uh, was uh, responsible for taking me to a lot of concerts. I got to see uh, Elton John and Billy Joel and all those kind of people as I was growing up because mum would take me to concerts yeah. and um, always had Beatles records playing at home and back in the day when you can actually slow a record down from its mm. regular 33 and a third down to 16 so that's how I learned to play guitar was by listening to records and slowing it down yeah mm. where did the drums come into it though? I know you said you could hide up the back yeah. playing the drums but it, it takes a bit more than that doesn't it yeah, rather yeah. than just a shy personality well you know after the Beatles I discovered a band called Led Zeppelin right yeah and um yeah, I just I just love the the beat of John Bonham, so um, I thought yeah, I'd give that a try. And so my my first drum kit um, at home consisted of buckets, cardboard boxes, and things like that. And so I would just bash around on those sorts of things. And um, told Mum that I wanted to get a drum kit. And she said, "Well, if you want to get a drum kit, you're going to have to save up for it." So I did. Yeah. So I saved up for my first drum kit and uh, living in a block of flats in Collingwood. <laughs> I drove the neighbours crazy. <laughs> yeah, very popular. <laughs> <laughs> they would have been uh, much happier when you moved up to <laughs> yeah. drive up to Sydney. And you Absolutely. Can't be fan there. <laughs> um, all right. Well, you meet Gary. Yeah. Uh, he says, "Hey, I've got some tunes. I'm from Moving Pictures. Let's put a band together." Yeah. Is, is that as simple as it as it was? I mean, how protracted was that whole kind of? start up of that relationship um yeah it was it was pretty much that simple um there was nothing in in the bag as such there was no deal yeah you know i, I was kind of led to believe there was but there really wasn't there was a bit of interest in, mm. in, in what gary was doing because of you know the moving pictures thing but um yeah it wasn't like i drove up there and we you know suddenly got into it and mm. it all happened i mean I, I had to take a job so when i was in sydney i took a job as a um a driver for a printing company just um, you know, delivering their jobs and whatever else, and on the side on the yeah. weekends, um, yeah, get into the studio and do demos yeah. and write songs and yeah. whatever else. But that you know that was a process of about two years before we actually got into the studio, and then it was a good year in the studio making the record. Yeah. At what point did you think, hey, I think we've got something here? I mean, it obviously went on to be a five times platinum yeah, I know. album. Yeah. I'm, I'm not suggesting you would have foreseen that necessarily, no, but God, it, no. but did you think at some point, I think we've got something that's going to going to be well received? No, no, not at any point, to be honest with you. I mean, I was just happy to, to have made a record, you know, I mean, I, I had a, a CD or a record in my hand that, that I was part of. Um, and then, you know, then, then, uh, it was taken out to radio stations and whatnot. And, um, when it was actually played on the radio, for me, that was as good as it gets. Yeah. You know, I've got a song <laughs> on the radio, you know, but I um, had no no idea that it would chart and do all, all the things that it eventually did. Your songs are still being played uh, often on the radio. I, I know, it's do great. You, are you still getting a buzz? Oh, look, I was, t- I was talking to, to Lee about it just a couple of days ago. Like, it's been 33 years Yeah, um, since the day I started doing this and still doing it. Yeah. And still being played on the radio and still able to go out do shows people turn up and and really enjoy the shows yeah so um i feel very blessed forgive me if this is an intrusive question but um are you still getting royalty checks yes from, from when they're playing yeah yeah yeah, yeah they're, I mean, they're still giving you a yeah i'm not able to buy jet planes anymore <laughs> but, 
Yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, look, I mean, the music industry is, I imagine, a, a pretty fickle beast at the best of times. But, um, yeah, it's um, worse Are, are you still able to sort of derive an income from those hit songs back in the 80s and 90s? Oh, look, I wouldn't call it an income. Yeah, I, I get, but it helps. I still get some royalty checks, yeah. yeah. They're, they're not huge. I mean, yeah. you're not going to go and buy a car or anything like that. But, yeah. um, but uh, I certainly do make it a helps. living from, from the live music. Yeah, yeah definitely. good to hear. Mm. Um, Eric, we need to take a break. But after that, um, the early days of 1927 and you bursting onto the scene and also some of the, the problems that came with it. We'll get into that right after we take a break. Sure. This is Inspiring Stories. Eric Wiedemann is our special guest. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Eric Wiedemann, frontman for the Australian band 1927, is our special guest in this episode. Um, so, Eric, a couple of years go by, you've put this album together, and then a little more time goes by as you lay that down and, and apply the finishing touches to it. Um, tell me about the release of it. What were your expectations at the time? Oh, God. Well, I don't have expectations. Mm. I, I tend not to expect anything because then, you know, the chances of being disappointed are... A less, yeah. But um, look, it was just a a, a trip, really. Um, yeah, and it, th- when things started to happen, it, it happened so quickly that um, it was hard to to process, really. Yeah, you know, because uh, fr- from one moment to hearing the song on the radio and going, "Wow, I've got a song on the radio," to suddenly being told that um, you know we're climbing up the charts and mm. it's in the top ten of the charts, and mm. then being presented with a gold record to start with, and then a platinum record, and then a whole bunch of platinum <laughs> records, and um, and then, uh, you know, finding that um, going to the shops as, as I used to, to to buy groceries or, or whatever, um, became a bit of a mission because I'd be chased down the street by people. Yeah, so. um, which just must have seemed like this bizarro world that you found yourself Oh, look, in. if I'm honest, I didn't enjoy it one bit. No. You know, because... You um, probably wished you were back behind the drum kit again, hiding. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, how quickly did that happen? From the release of the album, how quickly was it, um, you know, you just being some guy <laughs> yep. to being that guy and and someone that people wanted to chase down the street? I think it was a matter of six months at the yeah, most. Right. Yeah, it happened very, very quickly. Very quickly and very hard to adjust to. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, how did you cope with that? I didn't. I didn't cope with it at all. Yeah. No. So, yeah, I became more reclusive than, than ever before. Which and, would have um, been hard in a in yeah, a big city, huh? Yeah, and the pressure to to perform as well, you know, because um, what was previously just something I enjoyed to do. When you feel the weight of expectation mm. from not just you know, mm. your audience, but from from band members, from management, from record companies, mm. um, yeah, it becomes a little bit overbearing. We might just remind people of one of the songs that propelled you into that world. Yep. Uh, before we go any further, this was uh, another one of the. Uh, the massive hits on uh, on Ish. Uh, that's when I think of you.
feels wrong to be uh, fading down the guitar solo there, Eric. <laughs> there you go. Um, that was one of the massive hits uh, that propelled that album into five times platinum status uh, back in the late 80s. Um, you mentioned uh, that it got a bit crazy. Yeah. Um, the fans, you know, became overwhelming to you. What about the way that you had to transform yourself into this person, this front man for 1927, That's... you know, with the shirt all done up to the top and you had the, the bouffant hair? It's a long way from what I see before me now and yep. from what people would see if they go and see 1927 in 2021. Yeah. Um, okay, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I've, I don't know if you've ever seen the Red Faces clip, but I was sporting mm. a, a pretty cool looking black yeah. mohawk back in those days. Very punk. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, a lot of the music that I used to listen to was very, very punk orientated as well. So, um, yeah, coming, I mean, I wasn't styled by anybody but myself and um, I wasn't actually thinking about a style in particular that was just me then yeah uh, and you know like like everybody on the planet we're all evolving creatures and mm. from from one day to the next you can be somebody else and so um yeah externally who knows mm. uh, internally i've always been the same person yeah and so um yeah, it was like what i was talking about before when you feel the weight of expectation yeah on you about who you're supposed to who you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to be um uh, yeah, that became difficult because I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a, I'm going to rev you up kind of person. Yeah. You know? So, um, yeah, I, I would avoid, I always hoped that the music would speak for itself. Yeah. And, um, whenever I've gone to see a, a, a musician or a band that I loved or grew up with, um, I certainly wasn't expecting a, a, a circus act or a acrobatics or anything like that. I was there to hear, hear the music yeah. played live. So mm. that was the way that, um, I thought I should be. Were, were you in a position, though, you know, was there pressure from record companies who wanted to brand you, that you had to look a certain way, appeal to a certain demographic? Um, was there was there pressure like that placed upon you to, to kind of, you not, know... Not really. Not really. This role. No, there, there was a, a couple of times when comments were made that, you know, I should appear to be more single. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, which was, you know, I found that deeply offensive. Um, but no, other than that, um, uh, when everybody was on the roller coaster ride and, um, you know, there was money falling from the, from the, the sky and nobody really had anything to say. Yeah. You know, I understand you had some pretty, shall we, shall we say, enthusiastic fans though. Oh, um, yeah. you had a stalker even. At oh, one I point. did have a stalker. Yes. Yeah. So that was, um, well, I mean, that's a long, long story that one because okay. it's, uh, give us, give us the highlights, give us the short version. <laughs> Um, oh God, where do I start? I mean, um, there was a, a crazy letter that I received in the mail one day telling me about um, that I'd been accepted into South Africa as a new resident, and um, uh, you know my passport number was on there and my registration for my car and everything like that. It's like on this letter, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was one that I I had no idea about, and then I got a a, a phone call to say that um, Triple M wanted to do an interview with me down in Melbourne. And so, um, you know, they were going to fly me down, and so I got a plane ticket and everything else like that. And um, the hotel was supposed to be done in a hotel. Uh, the interview was supposed to be done in a hotel room, where this um, this girl interviewed me, and um, I thought nothing of it. Which is, yep, that was just another interview. Uh, turns out that that was the stalker girl, and um, wow. she eventually even got a position in the studio that we were recording in as a receptionist, and started stealing desk tapes. 
And so one day I got a... Your your tapes, as in your recorded tapes? When we were recording our second album. Yeah, so wow. I, got a, I got a tape in the mail one day with all these uh, uh, versions of the, the songs that we just recorded that week. And so, yeah, that's when I f- totally flipped and um, yeah. that's when everybody flipped. Yeah. And uh, she was eventually... Um, yeah, it became a police matter eventually. Yeah, well, I'm not surprised. Mm. I mean, that's taking fandom, you know, to a... A criminal level. Yeah, that, that's up there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, she's obviously, um, you know, a, a fairly extreme example. Mm-hmm. But I understand at times, you know, you're even having to sort of get in and out of hotels and, 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 and performing venues, you know, with towels over your head. Yeah. Yep. That sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, whenever we performed, um, I would be taken out of the venue first in a Tarago mm. under the seat with towels on me. Yeah, mm. So. Because there'd be just you know hordes of people outside the back gate waiting to to jump, and did did people always um, you know correctly then assume that you were not comfortable in the spotlight, or did, did they did they put it down to you being kind of uh, aloof or um, you know being snobby or disrespectful? Did, did did anyone ever get the wrong idea of of why you were like that? Um, I don't I don't know because I was I was so. Uh, padded up, you know, like protected from everything that, um, yeah, I, I had no idea what was going on. You know, you probably just added to the mystique and made them chase even harder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, and I, I can imagine that would wear you down. It does. For a while. It uh, does it, because, it, because it takes a, a massive part of the enjoyment yeah. out of it because it's like, okay, I get, I get brought in, I get, I get to stand on stage for an hour and a half and then I've got to get rushed out into a, and back to a hotel where, um, you know, I've been checked in under another name, mm. and um, and I can't leave my room. What was your check-in name, by the way? Did well, you, was I had the same one, or many just cycled them through. Yeah, just yeah. <laughs> just different ones. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't even know. It was just like, well, it's not Eric Goodman. Yeah. That's all there is. Yeah. When did it stop being fun? Then when did that start to weigh more heavily than the actual enjoyment? Um, pretty quickly, actually. Yeah, yeah. pretty pretty quickly. Yeah, because um, I was. I was alienated from a band. I was alienated from everybody because I was just taken away from it all. Yeah. And all I wanted to do was be in a band and play music. Mm. And um, yep. instead, I was you know, this this thing that got rushed in and out of places and um, and not allowed to <laughs> to mm. leave my room. Yeah. Mm. We need to take another break, uh, Eric. After yeah. that, I'll get you to talk us through the pressure of of following up ish with another hit record. Um, Always a challenge for any band that bursts onto the scene. Yeah. Um, and how you dealt with it. We'll get into that right after we take a break. Eric Wiedemann is our special guest. Back with more soon. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, our special guest is Eric Wiedemann from 1927. Uh, after the extraordinary success of, of Ish and all the pressures of touring and the fame that came with it, Eric, following it up with a second album was always going to be a challenge. Yep. Your reflections on that time? Um, yeah, well, I, again, for me, you know, I, I wasn't that – what's the word I'm looking for – not familiar with the process, yeah, and so for me, I was just excited to be doing a second record, mm. and um, I had no idea about the pressures and the politics that would come into it because yep. um, it caused a massive rift in the band too. Because uh, I'd written a whole bunch of songs, Gary had written a whole bunch of songs, we'd written some together, and um, uh, our record producer Charles Fisher 
was the person who had the final say in the track listing. And um, he chose a whole bunch of my songs over Gary's songs, so that, that caused a bit of a rift in the band there. Yeah. Um, was that hard to, to manage at the time, the, that, the breakup of the relationship between you and Gary? Um, it was confusing because it was like, you know, like, I, I, did, I did not understand why he was so upset about it. In retrospect now, you know, having been around for a little bit longer, um, I can see where he's coming from, but I think, he, you know, he could have handled it way differently, Yeah, let's say. Yeah. Um, and in terms of, you know, doing the second record, uh, again, experience now under the belt, you realise that once you start with a record that big, it's, you know, people usually build up to a record that yeah. big, you know, they'll start with one and three or four albums in, you'll, you'll, mm. you'll get one that'll do, you know, multi-platinum. Yeah. Unfortunately, we started with one that was multi-platinum. <laughs> Yeah, it was always. It's funny to say, problem. unfortunately, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah. But that's yeah. just the truth of it. So, um, not the worst problem to have. No, but um, <laughs> you know, so anything after that, um, unless you, you know, yeah, really knock it out of the park. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. is always going to be viewed as not failure as such, but you know, like eh, you know, mm. eh. yeah. So, um, yeah, and and then going out and still performing those songs from the the first album once the relationship with Gary had sort of fallen apart. Um, did they sort of take on any different feeling? No, no. I mean, we had a different guitarist in the band, and um, so obviously his uh, contribution was, you know, his style. I've, I've always let me clarify something here, um, because there's been so many iterations of 1927 over the mm. years. I've always said to the people that have come into the band to, to, to not to emulate what they're hearing on the record. Just yeah. bring your own thing in, because. Um, you know, music should be something that's it's magical, and sometimes someone can bring something in that's yeah. that's that is magical. And so yeah. I've always asked them to try and bring their own thing in, and um, quite often it's just made the songs better than it was before. Yeah, and yeah. exciting to perform again. Yeah, yeah. I meant to ask you earlier another one of the little quirky stories around 1927 is mm. the origin of the the name. Yeah, I remember when you guys first came onto the scene, and at first people were like 1927, like what happened that year? Was that a special year for some reason? Yeah. And then I suppose when you hear it more and more, it stops being quirky. It's like any it, bad it, name. Yeah. But yeah, mm. exactly. But how did it come about? As I understand it, it was literally pulled out of a hat. Literally. Yeah. Literally we had a bunch of band names that we threw, wrote down on little pieces of torn up paper and threw them into a hat. Yeah. And um, that was the one that was pulled out. And why not 1926 or 1928? Good question. <laughs> I don't have it an just answer. Was, the hat spoke. Yeah, the hat spoke indeed. Yeah. <laughs> and you listened. Um, the amazing gigs that you would have played over the years, uh, th there's one that I've read about that just seems to stand, well, maybe not above all others, but stand aside from all others. And this was uh, when you were invited to perform for the troops in Afghanistan. Yeah. Can you tell us how that came about? I mean, that's, that's a pretty extraordinary invitation. Yeah, it was. And um, as soon as I heard about it, um, you know, like the uh, proposal was like, look, you know, we've got this idea. We mm. understand if you don't want to do it. And it was like, of course I want to do it. And mm. it like crazy. So what did someone from the Department of Defence call uh, you? I'm not sure like if it went that? through the Department of Defence or whether it was through the ABC. <clears throat> but um, I mean, surely I, I, re I really don't know. Mm. Um, but um, yeah, we were, we were invited to come over and play for the troops in Afghanistan. That was the uh, the brief. So, what year are we talking here? Uh, we're talking, well, it was 10 years ago, so... Yeah. Uh, 2011. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, that was the brief. 
Um, now, <laughs> that was the brief. Then, of course, when the actual thing happened, we um, we boarded a plane, uh, flew to Darwin, and then we got onto uh, this unmarked plane. Yeah. Which was full of soldiers and SAS guys and everything else, and then flew into um, uh, Dubai. Yeah. That was the first place we flew into. And then we fl- went to um, a- an airbase there, which was our home for a week. Um, we had to go through basic training. Yeah. Um, how to deal with people that got shot and, uh, you know, we were given explosive demonstrations and all, you know, it was like, holy hell, this is just a little bit different to what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so basically went through basic training for a week before we flew in. Um, Good skills to know though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we were told that it's perfectly safe. It's, you know, it's the off season, you know, apparently. Yeah, apparently but here's what to do in yeah. case you, you know, step on a landmine. Yeah. Apparently yeah. war has an off season. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and then we flew in, and flying in was a trip too because we were in one of those uh, Hercules planes, and um, uh, they had to fly tactical flying, so flying really low to the ground, in in and out of hills, just to to make sure that we weren't targeted by anybody. Um, hit the ground in the middle of Afghanistan, and um, basically we're told when we hit the ground and that back door drops, just bolt, go. Yeah, what? Because you might get shot at. Yeah, and so we did that. Bolted. It was in the middle of the night too, so we um we, we wow. got we got there safely. And um, spent a couple of weeks there, met some of the, the locals. Yeah. Um, and, of course, all the people from the ADF were fabulous and um, they looked after us very well. But, um, what an yeah, experience. It was, it was crazy. Yeah, first first gig was, uh, yeah. where everybody in the audience was packing guns. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you get shot at while you were there? Uh, we got bombed every night we were there. Is that right? Yeah. The, the, so you went to, to Tarancott? Presumably, yeah, yeah, and yeah. perform there, and you can you can literally hear the bombs raining down. Oh yeah, because they, they've got a uh, uh, incoming siren. Yeah. And so the first night we were there, we were told this is the incoming, and it's, this is the everything safe siren. Yeah. And so I think we were there for maybe three hours, and suddenly there was this siren. It was like that sounds suspiciously sounds like the uh, the incoming one, and sure enough, it was. Yeah. And um, yeah, you could just hear the hear the things coming in and explode. How did you go? I mean, you're there to play music, not necessarily to terrified get involved in a mm. international conflict. Terrified. Yeah, yeah. Um, some of your songs um, seem to have um, a bit of a war story to them, or be inspired by yep. war stories. Was that part of the um, the inspiration to to get you there in the first place? Uh, because they, they might resonate with the troops there. Do you think or? Um, well, it's, it's certainly with Compulsory Hero. I mean, when yeah. we made when we made Ish, it was uh, originally going to be a concept album. We were all big fans of Pink Floyd, mm. and so we wanted to have a thread running through the whole thing. That's when I think of you was originally a a, a song about a soldier in the trenches during World War One, mm-hmm. thinking about you know loved ones back home. Uh, obviously, Compulsory Hero. All the people is also you know, heavily around uh, war, but um and propaganda machine. But um, yeah, we only had. Uh, X amount of songs that were kind of there and um, yeah couldn't fill the rest of the record out to make it yeah uh, succinct with the whole concept so that was dropped yeah still what an incredible experience oh yeah yeah um, and you've got more incredible experiences hopefully to come I know you got a bunch of dates yes uh, in WA and right around the country and we'll go through those uh, and hear also um, the reasons for you to up and relocate here to Perth okay. uh, many moons ago, as it, as it is now. Uh, we'll get into that right after we take a break. Eric Wiedemann from 1927 is our special guest. Back with more in a minute. 
You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, we are hearing this story of uh, Eric Wiedemann from the band 1927. Eric, uh, I remember back in the day, uh, you know, when the Aussie soaps were very popular, if a character left the show, they either seemed to die some sort of untimely death or they relocated to Perth. <laughs> <laughs> You've kind of done the same thing. You kind of wrote yourself out of your own soap opera as well, didn't you? I mean, look, I think to be fair, you, you didn't leave that world and come straight to Perth, did you? But in a roundabout way, you've kind of written yourself out of your own soap opera and checked out, and here you are in Perth. I guess so, yeah. Um, just like the, you know, half the people from Ramsey Street and some of Bay <laughs> over the years. Um, what brought you to Perth? What brought me to Perth? Um, love brought me to Perth. As good a reason as any. As good a reason as any, yeah, true. Um, look, I'd been coming to Western Australia for a few years uh, on and off, before I actually moved here because um, I've been invited to, to, to do some shows here and there. Yep. And um, the thing that struck me about Perth was its music scene because um, whereas the rest of the country was struggling uh, musically, um, music in Perth was just alive and well. Every place that you went to, there was a band playing. Um, yeah. It yeah. Was just, yeah. And still. So um, that was a, a huge attraction. But, um, you know, I met... Um, I met a woman here that um, just absolutely floored me. And so, um, yep, I met her and two weeks later I left uh, the Gold Coast and uh, we moved in together and we've been happily married ever since. Yeah, um, And you guys live a fairly reclu reclusive life? Yes, we do. Now. Yeah, just how you like it? Well, you know, we like each other. You know, mm. we're, we're, we're friends before we're, we're mm. anything else. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, just as it happens, we don't require anything else. We spend just about every day, 24 hours a day together Yeah, with our cats. And um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's enough. Yeah. Mm. Um, and you're still writing music. I, yeah, I try to. You know, yeah. I've always had a problem of not being as prolific as I'd like to be. But because um, yeah, I, I, I can't write a song for the sake of writing a song. It has yeah. to mean something to me. So. Yeah. So it, it, something has to grab a hold of you and... You know, you have to sort of follow that, pursue it, and yeah. see what comes of it. Yeah, and sometimes, yeah. Uh, more often than not, I'm I'm not happy with the end result, and so yeah. you know, I won't do anything with Are it. Are you your own biggest critic? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wish I wasn't. <laughs> Some people aren't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we might have a listen to one of your most uh, recent uh, creations. Tell yep. us about this one. I think it's a paper airplane. Paper airplane. Yes. Um, uh, turmoil. Yep. Okay. Let's just say that's a that's a one word intro. Yep. Let's hear a bit now. Yeah. 
So that's from more recent times, yep. Eric. Yes. Um, when you go and perform now, and I know you've got a, a load of dates, which we'll get to in a minute uh, around WA and around the country. Um, do you enjoy playing those newish songs more than the old stuff? Uh, no, I don't enjoy playing uh, new stuff more than the old. I still love playing the old tunes. Yeah. I mean, I don't think of them as old tunes. I just think of them as, as tunes that I like to play. Yeah. I mean, there are some that I, you know, I don't play because yeah. um, I don't enjoy playing them. But all the songs that I play live, I enjoy yeah. just because I enjoy the songs that they are. Yeah. You you must just get massive sing-alongs at some of you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's it's it nice. like having a chorus of a thousand in front it's of great. you? It's great. It's great. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. It's great. Um, COVID obviously uh, curtailed many mm. music careers. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you do? during lockdown time when you couldn't perform? Um, well, I think as I said to you earlier, life wasn't that different for me because um, I, I rarely leave the house. Yep. And um, yeah, I did dig a fish pond. Um, and, yeah, yeah, just carried on as I usually would. The mm. only difference being that, um, you know, the the income wasn't there. So that made yep. things a little difficult. But, um, you know, I'm sure people did it way harder than I did. Yeah. I suppose, uh, you know, the the entertainment industry, though, was particularly crippled. Yeah, it was pretty smashed, yeah. 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 Um, so your dates, uh, we're starting pretty soon. So Friday the 7th of May, you're in Margaret River. Mm-hmm. Uh, then uh, a week later, that Friday, the 14th of May, you're at uh, the Frio Social. And then the following Saturday at the Astor Theatre. Uh, then you're down to Albany on the 22nd of May. Uh, in Mandra on the 23rd of May. Uh, Esperance on the 28th. Uh, and then the Goldfields on the 29th. Yeah. Um, quite a few regional yes. uh, dates in there as well. Do you enjoy getting out of the cities? Oh, hell yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. And apart from just, you know, getting out of the city, you see the country and especially mm. Western Australia is such a, an awesome, diverse state. Yeah. Yeah. Are you itching to get back out on the road? I am. I am. Yeah. It's been uh, almost 15 months, I think, before I, since I've done any kind of live yeah. show. So, um, yeah. Um, and having lived a fairly reclusive lifestyle for for a number of years now um are you also in a happy place when you're on stage again or is it still something that frightens the heck out of you uh oh, look, <laughs> stage fright never goes away but it, yeah you know, it, it usually it, it usually dissipates by about the third song but um i've always enjoyed performing it's just um yeah it's just one of those things it's just one of those it, it can it can get the better of you at times sometimes yeah, yeah. but um I'm, I'm a lot better <laughs> these yeah. days yeah and, and post show are you, are you still having to put a towel on your head and run no out no, no 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 are you able to go and have a beer with the crowd and well and chill I, I don't out a little drink bit? but I'll, I'll i'll have a i'll have a soda water or something yeah yeah okay well that's good to hear um, and post this tour, uh, are you looking forward to to recording and writing more? Yeah, absolutely. I'm always trying to, but yeah, um, yeah I'm just I'm, I'm not very prolific, so I'm always looking for something to write. But um, you know, it, mm. has, it has to mean something. Yeah, you know, I'll never write a uh, a, a pop song that means nothing. Yeah. Well, thankfully, you've still got this uh, bank of hits that you can. Uh, call upon that people obviously still enjoy hearing. hearing. Yes, so, very fortunate. Absolutely. Uh, Eric, it's been great hearing your story. Thank you. And uh, good luck out in the road. Thank you. Uh, if people want to check those dates again, because they probably weren't able to write all of those down, where can they go to? Uh, 1927.net.au. You'll find yep. all the dates there. Okay. Yep. Around WA and around the country. And uh, your first dates here in WA are not far away. So good luck back Thank out you. in the road. I'm sure the crowds will love it.
And I hope you love it as well. I will. I will, indeed. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank You've been you. listening to the inspiring story of Eric Wiedemann. Everyone has a story to tell. Uh, this one brought to you by Barra and O'Day. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another inspiring story. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.